This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good morning and welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Adam Staszynski. Coming up on this week's show, a local nonprofit is marking 40 years of a program which helps pregnant teenagers and a former Major League Baseball player opens up about the opioid crisis in baseball. Maureen Halligan is Chief Operating Officer of Amerilic St. Vincent Family Services. She joins us this morning on Score Values. Maureen, thanks so much for joining us. How about you start by telling us a little bit about what Merrillick St. Vincent Family Services does? Merrillick St. Vincent, we're, very, we're a comprehensive social service agency. We have programs that are um, really start prenatally and go to senior citizens. Our largest are our um, early childhood programs and our youth programs, um, but we do cover the whole um, developmental age age range. And we're located in, um, Miralac is located in East Garfield Park on the west side, and St. Vincent's is located in um, Lincoln Park on the north side. Although, and, uh, although we're in different neighborhoods, we serve the same demographics in our, in our programs at both centers. And what what demographics do you primarily serve? So we we um, we work with um, the working poor. Um, we also we have programs for at risk youths, and um, and also we have community outreach programs like food the food pantries, and we have um, you know helping with sign up for benefits and and community and advocacy in the communities um, and our and our programs focus on a lot of the issues that are um, affecting the communities that we're serving. And Which how would be oh, like, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say like, like things like, um, you know, education, a lot of the violence that's going on in the communities, health disparities, um, areas of, uh, you know, we've seen so much happen since COVID with uh, systemic racism and, and the, if seeing what difference there are and a lot of the health benefits and stuff that, you know, are going into the communities that we're serving. Um, and it really came uh, to light during the, COVID, during the pandemic how, how much disparity there are in services. Uh, you know, that's something I wanted to ask about. I imagine that the the pandemic has has really affected, or I guess, how has it affected what what you do, and has it affected how many people that you're servicing? You know, it has. It's been it's been difficult. We we actually um, had gone. It was very unusual because we had no idea how we had gone um, remote. You know, in that that March, um, but. 
we returned it back into our buildings with all the full programs. The, the pantries were open during the whole beginning, you know, through the whole pandemic. But we reopened our programs at smaller levels, our early childhood and that, um, in the summer of 2020. And um, so we've been back, but we've had a lot of those issues of opening programs, opening classrooms, closing them, and, you know, because of, you know, the COVID-19 uh, being, uh, you know, children getting or staff. We've had a lot of staff um, that have had many, many, you know, traumas and a lot more um, health issues and a lot more anxiety over the over COVID. And uh, so it has affected us. Many of our programs were um, virtual for a while, which is very difficult, especially with young people, uh, to do the Zoom calls and that. But um, we did go virtual, and we were very flexible and creative in how we how we tried to um, promote helping the people that we serve. Uh, but it's been quite a challenge. I imagine it has. And we're talking with Maureen Halligan. She's Chief Operating Officer of Merrillick St. Vincent Family Services. Maureen, I wanted to ask you about Project Hope, which I know you're marking 40 years of this year. What is Project Hope? Project Hope um, started out as we we were at Merrillick. Actually, my mother started it, so it's kind of more of a story. Oh, wow. For, I mean, I, I worked in it. I was in charge of it for 18 years until I became the Chief Operating Officer, so it's very dear to my heart. Um, we it was started because there really weren't any programs in communities specifically for teen parents, and there's a whole different, you know, there's a lot of different things that they need that um, that wasn't being provided, and so we Project Hope was started, um, and it was on a very small scale, and then we became um, after about the the fifth year we became. Um, involved with uh, Start Early, which used to be called the Ounce of Prevention. And so we are part, we are funded through them, but they also are, you know, do professional development with us and stuff. But the program was started um, in to serve teens that are pregnant teens, and now we've expanded it to age 25. But the, it's, a, it's a strength-based program, which means that we work on the strengths of the families, and, and it starts... Um, the, the service goes until the mom is 21, so it's, I mean, 25, so that, um, you know, the children could be in the program a fair amount, fairly lengthy time. Um, and we focused, uh, when the girls, young women are pregnant, we started the doula program, which is the birth assistant program. That was that's about 25 years old now, and that we were one of the first in the country to have doulas for um, at-risk teens, and um, we, it's now become you know it's across the country, and it, and we we have a um, documentary that was done with our doula Larissa called the um, doula story, and it followed five of our young women through their pregnancy, and it's still it's still it's holding it's, it's over 10 years old, but it's still is maybe it's 15 years old, it still is a pretty good depiction of what the program is. So the program is uh, home visiting based. The the family educators go into the home and they work on a curriculum that's called Parents as Teachers. And they also are working, nurturing and, and you know, role modeling for the young mom and family. But they are also um, developing goals and what they would like to to do, you know, go back to school or go, you know, go to work, and and so the program is the home visiting is 
you know, obviously done in the home, although it's been virtual for the past two years. Um, but we do a prenatal. The doula goes out for prenatal um, home visits when the young woman is seven months. And the doula is there really to nurture her, to develop a, a, a birth plan, to work with the, the hospital and the doctor, and also to work with the, the, you know, the family, the father of the child. And we do know that if, um, if the father attends a birth, even if he doesn't stay together with the mother, we have the father is much more likely to stay involved with the child if he's been part of the the birth experience. Uh, so the doula has served a lot of different. We used to get before we had the doula program, we would get um, young families coming in when their baby was about ten months old, and um, and now we have it. You know, at the seventh, we've been doing now the. First, second trimester, and so that makes a huge difference because there's so much learning that could go on during the pregnancy, and helping the young family have their own voice in, de- in developing the plan that they want. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that has happened is the subsequent pregnancy rate in our program has now been t- two years or longer, which is the norm in childbearing age. Where in before it was when the baby was about 10 months old, when they were coming, you know, independent as 10 months old are so independent. But um, we, uh, the program really focuses on the strength of the family and in looking at, um, we, you know, we have a, about a 65% uh, initiation of breastfeeding, which before the doula program was, we didn't, we had very, very uh, few women, young women do breastfeed. Um, and we also um, really focus on knowing that trying to get the, the them back into the mom, back into school after she has the baby or back to work because it's really hard if you go too long. So that, what we did then was we started in our early childhood, we opened um, our one of our baby classrooms to start at six weeks so that we could, you know, be a feeder into from the Project Hope program. Um, the program offers prenatal classes, parenting classes, like I said, the home visiting. We do um, a lot of uh, topics like domestic violence or um, heart-to-heart. We do is, a, um, is a, a sexual abuse program to help them keep their children away from any of those kinds of issues. Um, we we are we partner with a lot of people. We our doula program. We started a pilot program right before the pandemic, where one of our doulas is working in the um, Cook County Jail for incarcerated um, women that are pregnant, um, and that's been more virtual now. And hopefully, we'll get back to it. But they're also going to the juvenile um, uh, home for if there's young pregnant women there. Um, so that has, you know, it really makes a difference in the nurturing. Our C-section rate is 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 very low because um, they have uh, have a plan prior to us having the doula program. The, we had a lot of our um, girls would go by ambulance and just deliver at any hospital, and you know, there was, so the C-section rate was kind of pretty high, um, and. Our, our family educators, though, they are the ones that really work with the, the young women on their goals and, and their family. Um, we have father activities. There are play groups. And um, and like I said, these partnerships, we really partnered with 
some of the like Rush, Westside United. Um, we do, uh, it, it, you know, they do a lot of topics, all the topics that would be interested, you know, what are important to learn, um, nutrition and all of those they cover. And then we're starting to try to do some more financial literacy and, you know, workforce development. And um, it's a pretty comprehensive program, and, and the focus being on, you know, the parent-child relationships and then, you know, the children being ready to for school. So, you know, when they start kindergarten or preschool. Um, as, uh, we've, he had a really, um, I don't think in the past 10 years we've had a, um, a low birth weight baby, so that also affects any time in the ICU or the um, neonatal ICU. And so that that has been uh, something that we're very proud of. Um, we have uh, many young women that have gone on and young men that have gone on to um, going on to college and then also going on into the workforce and, you know, getting into careers and coming back and talking as, you know, role models to the to the, the people that are presently in our program. And we're talking with Maureen Halligan, Chief Operating Officer of Merrillick St. Vincent Family Services. Right now we're discussing their program, Project HOPE. Maureen, I know that in the last 40 years, Project HOPE has helped over 850 women, and this seems like such an important need because I can't imagine what would be happening to these women and, and these these babies if Project HOPE wasn't there. Yeah, can I give you an example of that? Oh, please. We we are in East Garfield Park, and East Garfield Park, I'm part of different networks that we're doing for, you know, for the uh, health disparities and stuff. And in East Garfield Park, it continues to have one of the highest rates of infant mortality and um, the uh, maternal morbidity. And it's, it's, it's just an interesting thing because our statistics have been so different, but we're in the heart of East Garfield Park. So those numbers for the general population in East Garfield Park are still that high. They're one of the highest in the country. And in our little, you know, our little program of, you know, what 45 people that we, you know, that are in the program at a time. Um, and, but we have gone over, over 850 people, young women have participated. But it's really, it really hits home that how important it is because of the statistics in the rest of the community and, and what, you know, what's going on with infant mortality and um, maternal morbidity in our community that we're part of. Um, so it does, it demonstrates it greatly how important this program is and how important it is for, um, for these young families to have, have their own voice and, and to be nurtured so they can nurture, um, you know, their, their child. And something I wanted to touch on that you mentioned earlier as far as the program after after birth. So it sounds like uh, the, these women and children can stay like what I guess my question is, what do, what does Project Hope do after birth as far as child care and, 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 and supporting the family? Yes. Yeah, so they continue, the family educators continue to do home visits and continue to do the individual service plan, which is, you know, them developing the goals with the young family of what they want to do. 
um, and helping them with referrals to get into get either back into school or get into a, um, a, some sort of workforce program or if college is in the in something they're interested in. They also are there to support them. You know, there um, there's so many things and there's so and there's referrals for depression and postpartum depression and um, you know uh, areas that. They help. They help with finding housing if need be for um, for young families that are you know that are like couch surfing or whatever. Um, they work with the extended family if there's you know issues with the grandma, the mom of the, the girl, the the father. Um, so they're they're doing and they the, this curriculum is called parents as teachers, and so they are going through and and learning about child development, learning about healthy lifestyles, learning about nutrition, and, um, you know, there are assessments done on where the, um, you know, where the children are at. We do this ages and stages assessment, and they are following the children developmentally, and then also role modeling and giving ideas, like they bring in... um, if, if a child, let's say a child needs early intervention, the the early the um, family educator is there to assess and can make the referral. So the sooner, obviously, someone gets into early intervention, um, the better that is. They also bring in uh, activities into the home to to um, that are like that are educational, but also how parents can have fun with their children. It's been extremely. Um, stressful for for young families during the pandemic, and they have tried to do this on porches, on, uh, you know, virtual, um, not going into people's homes, but um, those have been really important because they continue to have a connection um, with, you know, with people that are there that, that can help them and that care. So um, it is, it is a, a, we have so many great stories of Girls that have moved on and in with their family, whether they're with the father or the baby or not, but doing really well and um, moving on to um, you know their jobs and where they're at. Obviously, it's for 40 years, and I've been here 35 years, so I know quite a bit of quite many of them. So, um, in seeing where they've, I've had the honor to see. The kinds of things that they're doing, and um, and I see their kids grow up, and I, we've had kids in our program now that the initial that you know that their parents came through our program. Um, oh yeah, so. this this sounds like such a a wonderful program, and and I know it, it sounds like it's been extremely successful. Couple more things I wanted to touch on here. You've mentioned a couple times that during the pandemic, Project Hope has been largely remote. And I'm wondering if there is when you're hoping I should I should ask to to start being more in person and and how that looks going forward. So we have slowly started to be in person, especially since the when the um, when you know when they did have that the young people could get the vaccine. We have this wonderful relationship with Rush, um, and they've been giving they've been coming on site for all of the community. Uh, for like six months, giving the boosters and the vaccine, so that's been really helpful. Um, but I, we are starting to have more groups 
in in person, and um, and also more in person meetings. It's been a hesitation, to, you know, to go in the homes just because you know it's people's homes and you don't know who's vulnerable or that. But at at Merlac and um, we are continuing with mask wearing and continuing social distancing and and really pushing the vaccine um, for you know with it's right on site the pe- that they can come and get it and stuff so it's been it's been hard because again you know when you have uh, young people coming on for a meeting um, Zoom is such a hard way to do it because uh, you know a lot of times they uh, go off camera. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so it's not as intimate as you would like it to be, but it's gotten way better because we've gotten used to how to do it. Oh, that's great. And uh, my final question here is if there is anyone that is interested in either maybe they want to want to join the program or maybe want to volunteer with Project Hope or any other services that that you guys have. What's the best way to get involved? Well, the. For anybody that wants to be a participant, they can just contact Project Hope, and that would be just contacting um, LaRonda is the is the um, LaRonda Castine is the manager of the program. Um, but as vol- volunteers, there to go to our website, they have um, you can send in you know that you would like to volunteer, and we've we do have volunteers that are you know anywhere from medical to um, people that are collecting baby clothes to formula, you know, those kinds of things. Um, But uh, the the way, the best way would be to go to our our website and, um, and there's a hope you can sign up for volunteering. Well, Maureen, thanks so much for, for all the information today. I really appreciate it. And, you know, Project Hope especially sounds like such a, a great program. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I would like to just add that the um, the I think the program is really great. I am really want to stress how um, strong and um, resilient that uh, the people that we work with are, and how um, you know just I just want to say that just like everybody else, in the, they they want the best for their child. They want their child to get the best that they can get. And, and that is, uh, has been the case for the whole 40 years of everybody that's come through the program. Okay. Well, Maureen, thanks so much for the time today. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to me. That was Maureen Halligan, Chief Operating Officer of Amerilick St. Vincent Family Services. You're listening to Score Values on 670 The Score. Up next, we have former Major League Baseball player Bronson Arroyo, who spoke with Danny Pargins and Matt Spiegel about the opioid crisis facing baseball. There is an opioid crisis in this country, the Tyler Skaggs tragedy, Bronson. I'm curious. I I definitely have specific questions, but you know some of the players here. There were four players who testified yesterday. Just broad strokes. What are your feelings about this crisis for baseball? Yeah, you know, it's, 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 you know, in the time that I was in the game, the Tyler, the Skaggs situation, obviously, you know, the one silver lining in that is that the league stopped um, chasing guys down for marijuana. Right. And, and, and prior to that, you know, they were really being sticklers with guys and and not allowing 
you know, people to have an outlet other than alcohol. And, and what we learned from a generation before us is that the alcohol just wasn't really productive in our lives. And you see a lot of guys, you know, doing damage to themselves. You know, if you look at the Jeremy Jambi situation, you know, if you, if you talk about steroids, you talk about alcohol abuse, there's a lot of things like that that can, that can evolve in people's lives after the game, you know, and, and having people say, you know, I'd like to smoke a joint because I don't want to do these other things and I don't want to take some hardcore drugs. You know, they weren't allowing guys to do that for such a long time. They were pushing people in a way to go find some other vice. And, um, you know, a lot of times I, I personally don't blame any of that stuff on, on organizations at all or Major League Baseball. I mean, I think the power mover in that, in that sense has always been the players. You know, what happens inside of a locker room is dominated by the players. They're the ones that get the most respect. The guys that are working in there are just doing what they're told. And, um, mm. you know, it's just a sad situation that you see guys who have hurt their career, um, just spectacular athletes that have gone down a road, um, you know, i.e. the Dwight Goodens of the world or the Daryl Strawberries, who, you know, they could have put up just much bigger numbers than they ever did, even though they were great players. Yeah, no, you're right, man. Hearing Matt Harvey, who didn't want to talk, but did and chose not to, you know, ask for uh, to plead the fifth or whatever and talked and admit like, you know, that cocaine probably played a role in him not quite reaching the potential. That was so heavy to read. But, I mean, you mentioned Gooden. I'm sure you know lots of stories like that, contemporaries or guys. Yeah, I mean, you outlasted everybody, Bronson. So I'm sure that's, that's more common than we, than we care to admit. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, look, I mean, the average age of, a, of, a, of an athlete in his prime, you know, is somewhere in his mid to late 20s. I mean, you know, they, they give us a lot of freedom to travel around the country and have a good time and people aren't checking on you at night, um, you know, and, and, and you get into things that you enjoy. And there are a lot of guys who just sit and play the Xbox and watch movies and have quiet time, you know, but there's a large percentage of guys as well that like to have a good time. And sometimes... If you have a good time for too long and you start getting into some things, as Ken Caminiti did, right? And, and, you know, when you have a grown man who's making a lot of money, it's hard to tell people, you know, don't do things. And so sometimes these guys get on a slippery slope and they just can't pull it back. Talking to Bronson Arroyo here on the Parkinson Spiegel Show. Um, I haven't been able to stop thinking about a text that Tyler Skaggs sent to Harvey that he, he wanted, I think, a Percocet or whatever it was, so he could, quote, pitch loosey-goosey, unquote. And I'm thinking about, you know, frankly, times in my life when I've been singing Bronson, I was like, boy, you know, it'd be nice to feel a little something some way, you know, or whatever. It's like, I mean, anybody in any walk of life. And like, is that more common than than we know that that guys would pitch with uh, with an opiate or just like with that kind of buzz on? Um, you know, guys that I played with, they were usually looking for energy for the most part, right? We talked about the old greenies, which was a mild form of speed. Um, you talk about, I mean, even a cup of coffee. I mean, you guys know how it is. I mean, if you know somebody who drinks coffee every day, you guys probably have coffee. You know, there's something that feels disrupted in your life if you don't have that routine. And what winds up happening is, is people just, you know, you put something in your system. And if you, if you go out there and pitch on a little bit of a painkiller because your elbow's bothering you, and you have a good outing and the pain isn't there, there's something psychological that could also be a placebo that makes you believe that you actually are pitching better on that substance now. And sometimes you start doing that every fifth day, and next thing you know, you've been doing that for three or four years, and you don't realize how dependent you are on that. I have definitely played with guys, you know, that I, don't, I really want to name. They have retired from the game not long ago that were my contemporaries that were, you know, coming out of the bullpen and taking, you know, five and six Percocets just to get out there on the mound every single night. You know, and then running the streets hard and doing cocaine at night, and 
you know, it, it's not survivable over the long haul. It's what made me who I was in the game because I was the guy who loved to go out and have a good time, but I was drinking water most of the night. I might have a Corona or two, but I was never dependent upon stuff like that. It just wasn't in my personality. And, um, I mean, there's just really no way to stop it because if, if you talk to some of these guys about the way they're living their life, for the most part, they feel like they're, it, it's something that is actually making them a better athlete, not knowing that they're just slowly kind of decaying on the, on the underside. How often, like when, when there's, the story comes out from the testimony, you know, recreational drug use in the clubhouse, crushing up pills, snorting them on the bathroom stall, doing, doing coke in the clubhouse. Is that an outlier in your mind or is that something that is also happening? No, it's definitely an outlier. I mean, there's, there, there are definitely things like that happening in the game, but they're, it's not a mainstay. You're not seeing it every day. I, I would say, you know, as time has gone on, what I, when I came into the game, what I call kind of the steroid generation and the guys taking the greenies, that generation has, has, has left. And, and what those guys left for us was a lot of times a bit of baggage about being reckless, right? And they were also reckless with their money. Those guys tipped the clubhouse guys insanely, right? Like they'd ask for somebody to go down and pick up 10 hamburgers at McDonald's and bring them in, and they would maybe give the kid $500 as they keep the change. In the clubhouse today, guys are the exact opposite. You know, they pinch pennies more. They realize they, get, they need to take care of their families and stuff. They take care of their bodies better than we ever have. They understand nutrition better. There's more food in the clubhouse. So overall, in the game of baseball, health of the game is, is worlds better than it was in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s. But there's always going to be some outliers. And obviously, you know, pills didn't exist back in those days. So people were doing more recreational drugs. Now it's a lot easier to just grab a couple things in a bottle that people don't have to go out and find, you know, in the ghetto somewhere or on the street corner and they can bring it in the clubhouse and there are a few guys who might be dependent upon that but it is not it is not rampant in a locker room that's former mlb player bronson arroyo who spoke with danny parkins and matt spiegel that's it for this week's episode of score values if there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of our show or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event send us an email at scorevalue670 at gmail.com that's scorevalue670 at gmail.com i'm adam staszynski and thanks for listening to this week's edition of score values on 670 the score Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 